By listening to the Conscious Fertility Podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician or healthcare provider for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Welcome to Conscious Fertility, the show that listens to all of your fertility questions so that you can move from fear and suffering to peace of mind and joy. My name is Lauren Brown. I'm a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm on a mission to explore all the paths to peak fertility and joyful living. It's time to learn how to be and receive so that you can create life on purpose. We have back on our Conscious Fertility Podcast, my colleague, Dr. Kaylee McIsaac. She is the Clinical Director of Naturopathic Medicine at AccuBalance Wellness Center. If you haven't listened to her previous podcast, she talked a lot about functional medicine testing, doing a deeper dive, leaving no stone unturned when it comes to your fertility workup. And today we are gonna talk about the fertility diet. Now, Kaylee, I want to just let everybody know a little bit about our, our professional relationship here and, and, and our fertility diet, because we do have the second edition of the AccuBalance Fertility Diet available on our website, the AccuBalance website. And I wrote the first one, I don't know, geez, 2010-ish, around then I published it a long time ago. And you had agreed that the theory was pretty good. You liked it, right? Yeah. <laughs> And then you tried some of the recipes I suggested and you asked me if I have ever tasted these recipes I suggested <laughs> and you said they're not fit to be eaten, right? And Yeah, uh, some of them are gross. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, uh, being a great delegator, I go, well, can you make them better? And you're like, yeah. And so with those principles, um, you found great recipes that are there to optimize your fertility and they taste good. And then you decided just to help with the whole rewrite of the fertility diet, and hence in the end of uh, 2021, was it? 2020, it was like deep pandemic. That's when we okay. wrote it. That's mm -hmm. when we wrote it. Okay, so December 2020, we published the second edition. Now, the big question we get, Kaylee, is that it's confusing for our patients. They're like, you know, eat carbs, don't eat carbs, can you eat meat, can't eat meat. How is it that there's so many diets out there that say they're beneficial and yet they look like on the surface they contradict each other? So I thought you could tell us how to eat our way to a fertile you and more importantly, kind of like can the real fertility diet please stand up? So can you kind of walk us through the fertility diet and, and why they look like they're conflicting and yet they're, um, their advice is conflicting but yet they're all saying they're optimizing fertility? Definitely. I think anyone who has Googled, what should I eat to help with my fertility has had this experience where you will find 10 different opinions from 10 different fairly reputable sources. There are some doctors who will tell you to go vegan for your fertility. And there are some docs who would promote paleo or the Mediterranean diet. There are lots of different styles or dietary patterns that actually can be beneficial for things like egg quality, sperm quality, lowering inflammation in the body, all of these different sort of various aspects of like optimizing your fertility. There's lots of different ways of going about doing it. And when we tried to put together what we were going to put out into the world as our AccuBalance fertility diet, Lauren, I know you did this. You did a little bit of a deep dive into diff these different sort of food systems and tried to figure out what is it about each of these different styles of eating that can promote fertility and how do we make that kind of our own? 
And really what it comes down to is that these different sort of dietary patterns, Mediterranean, paleo, vegan, keto for some people, have four sort of similar aims or four similar benefits. And that's why we think that they can promote fertility for different people. When we really boil each of those diets down, the four main things that they are trying to do is firstly, lower inflammation. Second, lower oxidative damage or the type of cellular stress that happens when there's too many oxidative stress species in the cellular environment. The third one is regulate and stabilize your blood sugar. And the fourth one is to provide really sort of nutrient dense or adequate nutrition to your cells, which is of course important when you're trying to build a baby. So I think that that's why a number of these different dietary patterns are promoted is because they all kind of do these four things. And these four things are at the core of why these diets can be helpful to promoting fertility. So that's a good litmus test when you look at any diet. Is it lowering inflammation? Is it regulating the blood sugar? Is it reducing that oxidative stress? Is it providing nutrition? And when I did this deep dive years ago, what I found they have in common was that they all said no processed food, mm -hmm. no refined flour, no added sugar, eat lots of veggies, right? Mm -hmm. Some said carbs, some said don't eat carbs, some said you can have animal protein, some said you did not. And what they all had in common is what they said to avoid. So that's the real key is that processed, refined flour, fast food diet. And if, so if you eat more of a whole foods, plant-based diet, mm -hmm. doesn't have to be vegan because our diet does have animal protein in it, then that can lower the inflammation, reduce oxidative stress, regulate blood sugar, and it's nutrient dense, which is going to be great for on a cellular level, so good for the sperm and egg quality. Yeah. What, so can you talk a little bit about then, why do we care about inflammation? Why do we care about blood sugar? Why do we care about oxidative stress? How is this damaging to our fertility and how can diet rectify this? Yeah. So one of the ways that I often explain this to people is what we say all the time at AccuBounce is that when we are trying to make a baby, what we really want to do is we want to nourish your soil before we plant the seed. Sort of this idea that it, when you have an environment that is conducive to healthy baby making, it's more likely that it's going to happen. And inflammation, oxidative stress, dysregulated blood sugar, these are all things that can throw your body's soil or what we call your cellular environment or your terrain out of balance. Inflammation is concerning because it's this sort of inappropriate immune system response that can lead to damage to cell membranes, for example, can throw a wrench in healthy optimal hormone balance and function. It accelerates biological aging, which is not something we want to do in the context of fertility. So we, it's one of the, these ways that the cellular environment can be out of balance and your soil can be, become off track. We don't create the best quality egg cells, sperm cells. And we don't have the best quality uterine environment when that soil is out of balance. So when you're saying soil, just like this, this metaphor, nourish the soil before you plant the seed. And so the soil being the cellular environment. And the story we like to give is like, if you look at a plant that doesn't look nourished, it looks like it's time to maybe put it, put it into the, the recycling bin. Sometimes if you add more water to it, add fertilizer, or change it, how much sun it's getting, this plant can regain its vigor and give off roots and flowers. So we didn't do anything to the roots. We didn't do a donor root transplant on the plant. The plant always had the potential, but the environment in which the roots were in, which the plant were in, was suboptimal, and so it couldn't reach its potential. 
And this is the analogy we're using when it comes to egg and sperm cell. The cellular environment, if it's suboptimal, then the egg and sperm can't reach their peak fertility potential. And so the soil can become out of environment. So can you talk a little bit about things that put the cellular environment, this soil out of, out of balance, and then why is diet so important? Yeah, there are so many different things that can create imbalance in that cellular environment. So I'll sort of, I'll list off a handful of things that I'm always trying to get a handle on for my patients. Like when we're doing an intake together and I'm asking about bowel movements and sleep and joint pain, I'm trying to discern if I think any of these things are at play for the person sitting in front of me. So things like um, hormonal imbalances. So having uh, a relative estrogen dominance or a picture where I don't think you're making enough progesterone could be a reason why the environments or the soil gets shifted out of balance. Inflammation is one that we just talked about in any possible infections, because they also can take up space for the immune system. They can result in dysbiosis in the microbiome, acidity versus alkalinity. So the pH of the cellular environment plays a role in the quality of the cells that we manufacture. Excessive toxicity can throw the soil out of balance. Poor blood flow could be an issue. Digestive trouble because, uh, you know, when there's anything going on in the digestive tract, not only could the microbiome be affected, which we know influences things like implantation and a healthy pregnancy, but also your ability to actually assimilate and absorb the foods and the supplements that you're putting in your system could also be hindered by a digestive issue. Oxidative stress, nutritional deficiencies is a huge one, whether that's from not consuming the right nutrients that your body needs for the building blocks of healthy life, or we're not being able to assimilate and absorb because there's something standing in the way of your body's ability to do that. And then lastly, this sort of like uh, potential for an immune system concern where there might be a little bit of an autoimmune nature. That also could be a reason that that, that soil is out of balance. And it's interesting because in our approach for optimizing fertility, we'll look to cool inf inflammation. And so diet's a big part of that. And then we can use new IV therapy. We can use supplements, acupuncture, laser therapy, Chinese herbs. We look to increase blood flow to the reproductive system. So that's like watering the plant. So again, exercise, stress reduction, femoral massage. We also use acupuncture and laser therapy for that. Balance hormones. You've shared often how our diet can cause our hormones to get out of balance. And can you give an example of that? And I'm always thinking of like the cortisol or blood sugar levels and thyroid hormones, because they all relate to our, somehow come back, we're, we're connected, right? So our, our sex hormones as well. Can you give us a little taste, no pun intended, because we're talking about diet, but a little taste about how things can affect our hormonal balance through diet or stress or lifestyle? Definitely. So in naturopathic medicine, which is what I practice, and, and same in Chinese medicine, we really understand the interconnectedness of each of the systems in our body which is why we have these like very long intakes with patients. And even though we're talking about their fertility, we're also asking about their bowel movements and their sleep habits because these lifestyle factors, diet, exercise, stress reduction, sleep and rest and you know formation of community, these lifestyle factors are actually pillars on top of which the rest of the therapies that we use work. So as a really important pillar, if diet is not on track, there's really nothing that we can do to compete with that. So we, I always say to patients, I can't out-supplement a poor diet. We can't out-acupuncture a poor diet. Diet, sleep, stress reduction, exercise, those things need to be in place in order for all the rest of our therapies to work. 
So yeah, we do have all these really cool, sophisticated therapies, but diet plays a huge role in whether or not this terrain is out of balance or whether it's really in balance. And I think there are a million examples of this, but um, one of the ways that I like to think about diet and hormone balance is that, for example, if we are eating a really strongly inflammatory diet, it can do things like change ovulatory capacity. So for example, women who uh, consume diets that are higher in trans fats, which are quite inflammatory, are at a much higher risk of having an ovulation-related fertility disorder, meaning they don't have a really regular ovulatory pattern. Of course, that makes it harder for you to fall pregnant just because you don't know when you're ovulating. But the main impact of that to our hormonal system is that if you're not ovulating regularly, you are not producing appreciable amounts of progesterone. Obviously, progesterone is a critical hormone for pregnancy, but it also is critically important to balance out the amount of estrogen that you make in the first half of your cycle. So if you're going for long periods of time with this unopposed estrogen in your system, that can wreak havoc and, and create issues in and of itself. That can lead to things like the formation of fibroids. It could also lead to just like really heavy periods. It could be exacerbating for things like endometriosis. So there's so many different manifestations of what that could eventually look like. And it can be shifted by a simple change in a, in, a, in a dietary habit. And when you were talking about kind of that foundation, like we can out supplement or out acupuncture, poor diet, poor lifestyle. Um, it reminded me of your colleague, Kara Fitzgerald. You want to share about her book, Younger You, and how now there's research showing how this stuff can change your biological age on a cellular level. Yeah, Absolutely. So another key concept that we talk about with our fertility patients is that there is truly a difference between one's chronological age or the number of birthdays that you had and your biological age. Your biological age is the age at which your cells are behaving. And that can either be equal with your chronological age, or in many cases, it's older than your chronological age. So maybe you're chronologically 42, but biologically your body's behaving like a 50-year-old. What's really important in the context of fertility, just before we get into Kara's study, is that we know for sure that one's biological age is more predictive of their fertility success than their chronological age. So if you take two 42-year-old women, one 42-year-old woman who's biologically 42 might conceive really easily versus the other 42-year-old woman who is acting biologically 50, it might be a lot harder for her to conceive. So dietary therapy is hugely important in helping to regulate what that biological age is. And so what Kara Fitzgerald did in this really groundbreaking study was she put to the test just lifestyle medicine changes, a big component of which was a dietary adjustment. And she showed a massive reduction in biological age over the course of an eight-week study. So she took a group of people, her interventions were diet, some lifestyle, some prescriptive exercise um, over an eight-week period, and they found an over three-year reduction in biological age over this eight-week period with really simple lifestyle adjustments. So that study really just speaking to the fact that diet, although we often discount it because it seems like too simple, it seems too easy, it's considered one of the free therapies because you're going to eat anyways, all we're doing is really changing what you're choosing to put in your system. It is hugely powerful for reversing biological age um, and for promoting fertility. So what were some of the things that she noted that got reversed in just eight weeks? So 
And as you said, diet was a big part of it. Just so everybody knows that diet is very similar to the Acubalance Fertility Diet, an anti-inflammatory, blood sugar regulating diet, relaxation, cuddling, you know, meditation, good sleep, movement, making sure the gut bugs, the microbiome were healthy. So that was a big part of it. So diet was key. Can you share, because I was just amazed, I remember when we talked about this a while ago, all the things that they saw reverse in just eight weeks. And how, how many years did it take off their biological age? I think it was over three years. It was over three years. Um, so what they did was pre-study, they tested a whole bunch of biological markers on these patients, like things like cholesterol panels and triglycerides. And those, they did see significant shifts in. So triglycerides is a, a fat that circulates around in our systems. It can be quite atherogenic. So it can be predictive for heart disease, for example. They saw a significant drop in triglyceride levels after just eight weeks. They also saw a significant drop in total cholesterol and LDL, or classically considered bad cholesterol levels. Um, they saw weight loss and critically, they saw weight loss in those who needed to lose weight. So this is something that we often see with our AccuBalance fertility diet approach as well is it seems to be weight normalizing. So our patients who are underweight and need to gain weight often will with this type of nutritionally dense dietary approach. And those patients who are like slightly overweight or in the obese category will often lose weight on a dietary plan like this. So it kind of brings everyone toward the middle or toward the norm. And I want to just share because some people go, what? I don't want to gain weight. It's a regulator, a normalizer. And so those that are can't gain weight, they're underweight, which is not good for fertility. They may have diarrhea. They're not absorbing through some of the treatments, we, the treatments we're doing, including diet, the gut heals, the absorption heals, and that's why they're able to now gain weight. They do need to want to gain weight. And then the women who have been having difficulty losing weight, especially because of that inflammation on a cellular level, when we do that gut healing and um, use this diet, and diet for us is not about calorie counting, it's about information for the body, they just shedded the pounds easily. The weight just came off. So hence it's a normalizer. You don't have to count calories. Your body would just find that nice, stable, healthy place. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, subjectively in the study, they saw things like improved energy and mood. The patients saw resolution of skin issues like eczema, for example, acne, less joint pain, fewer headaches. So their quality of life also improved on this program. And that's something really cool that we often see in our clinical practices too. Like for many of our patients, the goal is baby. So like, yes, that's where we're on track to get to. But along the way, we often find improvements in things like joint pain and sluggish bowel movements and skin conditions, because when we generally lower inflammation and improve oxidative stress and stabilize blood sugar, we also have impacts on those other systems too. So can we talk about some of the um, diets that are pretty dogmatic, like no meat or no carbs? We're not, we're not that way. So can you kind of explain your thoughts around protein, for example, and differentiate between plant and animal protein. Can we start there? And then we'll look at some of the other key things that some people may have questions around. So there are certainly some dietary approaches out there, like the carnivore diet or the keto diet that are very strict, where they cut out whole macronutrient categories of foods. Uh, my opinion on those diets is that they're not going to work for everybody. They will work for a handful of people and they will work for people who are often very outspoken about their experiences and will try to push, you know, keto or veganism on the rest of the world because it works so well for them. But in general, when we're talking to the general population who are trying to get pregnant, we really don't want to put you on 
a super restrictive diet that's going to cut out an entire macronutrient category of foods, our macronutrients being proteins and fats and carbohydrates. So our AccuBalance fertility diet, because it is speaking to sort of everyone who's trying to make a baby, we don't eliminate any one of those three macronutrient categories. Now, within those categories, we are we do get more specific about what types of proteins we like to promote to help to promote fertility and what types of carbohydrates we like to promote. So you ask about protein, the AccuBalance fertility diet combines both protein from uh, sort of both ends of the spectrum. So we actually like a diet that contains some animal-based protein, so meat-based protein, um, and also some vegetarian-based meals. The reason why is that we have a little bit of limited data that supports um, diets that are higher in plant protein being supportive of fertility, but also from a nutrient density perspective, you really can't beat animal protein for the amount of iron, bioavailable zinc, um, choline, uh, and a whole bunch of other um, nutrients, omega-3 fatty acids, for example. You really can't beat the amounts that you will get in an animal-based protein. So we actually have a dietary strategy that combines some meals of the week that are animal protein dense and then other meals of the week that are plant protein dense. Our big sort of caveat with the animal protein is that if you're going to choose to eat animal protein, what we're really concerned about is the quality of the animal protein. Because for example, if you look at the fat content of a conventionally raised steak and the fat content of a grass-fed sort of free-range organic piece of steak you actually get differences in the amount of omega-3 anti-inflammatory fats in both. So you'll find higher concentrations of inflammatory omega-6s in the conventional meat and higher amounts of actual omega-3 anti-inflammatory fats. So what the information that's speaking to your body that comes from that food, it actually changes with the quality of that food that you consume. And this is interesting because just like you are what you eat, so what we're eating is going to affect our cells, the animals, what they're being fed is going to affect the quality of their cells. So you just shared that the omega, the omega fatty acids are not the same, even though they're both cows, the steak, depending whether it was grass fed or not, will be different. And um, they've noted that the CoQ10, a lot of people in the fertility will know how important CoQ10 is when it comes to um, your fertility. But even on a cellular level, those that are grain fed and not free range have lower coenzyme Q10 compared to those that are grass-fed and free-range. Exactly right. So when it comes to protein, it is a really essential and important macronutrient that stabilizes our blood sugar. It uh, Amino acids, which is what we get from protein, are literally the building blocks of life. Like you require more protein and the end stages of pregnancy than you do at any other time during your life, maybe with the caveat of breastfeeding, but in, in either case, like this whole reproductive time of our lives, we require a ton of protein to do that. Um, so protein is really important, but the quality matters um, and the source can matter, but we actually prefer a combination of both. And then the organic idea of it um, not being purposely fed antibiotics or hormones for the growth part of it. So again, we're looking at the, the animals being raised in a kind way without being pumped with hormones or antibiotics for the purpose of increasing the size and the money they get paid when they sell the, sell the animal. Yeah. Yeah. And we want to avoid that also, because if you are consuming a meat product that is chock full of antibiotics, you can only imagine that that's going to have at least a minimal impact on your own microbiome when you ingest that food. So what is going to grow in your healthy intestinal microbiome, which in natural medicine, we consider 
the gut microbiome as being sort of like ground zero for, for all of the microbial balance in the body. And if something's off in the gut, it will have downstream effects on the vaginal microbiome and the uterine microbiome or the testicular microbiome for a male patient. Um, so that is really an, an important consideration too. So when it comes to protein, plant-based protein, absolutely. You can have animal protein. Quality matters. And then quantity. We do tend to overdo our animal protein. So you don't need, when you're going to start eating grass-fed, free-range, organic animal protein, it's it's expensive, so you're going to be forced to eat it less, which is perfect because we don't need as much as, as as we have in our in our diet here in the West. What about carbs, carbohydrates? Yes, another very controversial category of macronutrients, and you're going to hear all kinds of things when it comes to your fertility and carbohydrates. What I will say is that from a clinical perspective, on the average patient case, I don't love to fully eliminate carbohydrates because there are essential nutrients in there. And I do find that specific types of carbohydrates do have a very helpful role to play in creating good hormonal balance and good sort of neurological regulation or helping to like calm the nervous system down when we consume these sort of gentle or slower types of carbohydrates. So what does that even really mean? I would basically say that when I talk about carbohydrates, we can divide it into sort of two categories. We have one category, which would be considered fast carbs or often referred to as chaos carbs. I think that that's how we refer to it in our fertility diet booklet. Um, and these are the carbohydrates that are made that are things like processed sugar, breads or pastas. So foods that have been made out of um, refined flours that is one category of carbohydrate that one could consume. And it's the one category that we try to tell people to avoid on the fertility diet. And I'll tell you why in a sec. The second category of carbohydrates would be like the power carbs or the slow and gentle carbohydrates. These are carbohydrates from things like fruits and vegetables, um, starchy vegetables like sweet potatoes or squashes or beets or whole grains that you've cooked yourself from scratch, like brown rice, millet, quinoa, et cetera. The difference is when we consume chaos carbs, so those fast, refined carbohydrates, we digest and absorb them differently than we do the slower digesting power carbs. And what that does is it changes the glucose and insulin response to those foods and then changes the hormonal response as well. So a really good example of this is actually my, one of my favorite mouse studies, which was they took um, genetically identical mice and divided them into two groups. And they were fed equal calorie amounts of rice. But one group was fed rice in a whole grain rice form. So just like cooked rice. And the other group was fed rice, same calorie amount, same caloric density, but in a flour form. So it had been ground into a flour basically. And the rice that ate, or the mice that ate, the rice that was ground into a flour gained weight, became diabetic, developed metabolic syndrome, and the mice that ate rice in its whole grain form did not. And then they actually swapped groups and the overweight mice lost weight and the, uh, the normal weight uh, mice gained weight and got metabolic syndrome. So what happens is it changes when we digest, where we digest and absorb the calories in the intestinal tract, changes the release of like hunger and satiation hormones and um, the glucose and insulin response as well, which can lead to weight gain if it's dysregulated, but can also lose to weight normalization when it is in balance. So focus on those slow power carbohydrates, whole fruits, whole vegetables, starchy carbs, grains you've cooked yourself, as opposed to the processed refined category. 
And uh, again, that shows you that food is, is information. So how the form it comes in makes, it, makes a difference. And so you can have two widgets of food, both the same amount of calories, but it's the information. One is a fat and one is a, a carb. Um, it'll have different effects on the body. So we can't just look at how many calories something has. We have to see what it's made up of, how it's been processed, because that will affect how it's going to get used in the body. And as you said, start to affect our hormones, like our blood sugar hormones. I have another question for you. So this is asked Dr. Kaylee uh, diet questions today. There's, it's really, um, I'm seeing books on this, on intermittent fasting, intermittent fasting. There's a lot of stuff about intermittent fasting. Look, I was born in the 60s. We just called it skipping breakfast, but uh, you're this younger generation born in the 80s and later, they got these fancy terms. So intermittent fasting, um, the pros and cons, and can you share how we're using it in our practice as well? Absolutely. I love that. I love that our generation is the one to like coin a medical term around skipping breakfast. Yes. So intermittent fasting is sort of like an umbrella term. It refers to a few different styles of basically dietary restriction. So you can intermittent fast in a way where you like eat for five days of the week and then you don't eat for two days of the week, for example. But I think what most people think of when we talk about intermittent fasting is actually time restricted feeding, which is the practice of only eating for like a certain window of uh, of hours during the daytime and really trying to extend the period of time between when you stop eating at nighttime and when you start eating the next day. So that sort of habit of time-restricted feeding is a useful therapeutic in a handful of scenarios. So for example, men who need to lose weight often respond very well to a time-restricted feeding type of pattern. So do often perimenopausal or menopausal women in some instances, it kind of depends on what's happening hormonally. But what I would say is in the context of fertility, what I often like to remind my patients is that when you are trying to conceive, one of the things that I'm trying to do with your diet is send your body a specific set of signals, right? Food is information. And one of those signals is that there is adequate nutrition available in the environment to make a baby, to to basically to grow new life. And a really extended fast overnight kind of sends the body the opposite message. So if we are going for 16 or 20 hours of the day, not eating food, that's kind of telling um, our hormonal system that food is very scarce and it's only available at certain times of the day. And that may not promote really healthy ovulatory function and really healthy fertility. What I would say is that generally speaking, a 12 hour period of time between when you stop eating at nighttime and when you start eating the next day. That's a generally considered like hormone okay way to fast overnight. That also allows for the microbiome to have some good fasted time to reset itself overnight. It also allows your liver to process all the glycogen that's present. So from a weight maintenance perspective, 12 hours, I think is reasonable, but pushing much beyond sort of 14 hours fasted overnight for people who are trying to get pregnant specifically is not my favorite thing in the world, unless there's like really something specific going on that we're trying to shift. And this is helping, you said a little bit with blood sugar regulation as well, which is important for your reproductive health. Yeah. Yeah. If you do a 12 hour fast overnight, part of what's happening is you're giving your liver adequate time to use up its stored glucose, which is called glycogen. And if we don't do that, so if we don't give at least 12 hours to clear out the liver, then what happens is we can end up having to store excessive glucose during the daytime as extra adipose tissue in the body, whether that's visceral or subcutaneous fat. 
So we want to give the body the opportunity to clear that out so that we have more capacity for the glucose and insulin the next day. And I'll, I'll let our listeners know that um, if you join our newsletter on AccuBalance, one of the, the emails that we send out is blood sugar hacks to balance your hormones and boost your fertility. So we have a little email that we'll send out if you join the newsletter. Um, and there's several hacks, but why is it important Kaylee, from the blood sugar, like, and I'm thinking of like our women that have been diagnosed with PCOS. So Mm -hmm. why is blood sugar such an issue? Because it's one of the common things, as Kaylee said at the beginning, why there's all these different diets, but that some look like they conflict, but they all seem to work. Why? Because they all can help regulate blood sugar. So why is that so significant um, with our insulin levels and some of our sex hormones? One sort of like foundational thing to understand is that insulin gets released in response to glucose ingestion. So when we eat food, our pancreas pumps out insulin and insulin is a hormone. Insulin acts kind of like a bus or like a shuttle. And what it does is it grabs onto glucose, takes the glucose to the cells, knocks on the door of the cells and allows the glucose in. Glucose from our foods is fuel for our cells. So it is allowing for our cellular metabolism to take place. It allows cells to do the thing that they need to do. It allows our brains to work properly. It also allows our ovaries to work properly. The problem with glucose and insulin can a, uh, that commonly arises with people is that we uh, can get on what's called like a blood sugar roller coaster, where we are having real high highs and real low lows with our blood sugar values and this sort of like unpredictable nature of our blood glucose. When that happens frequently and over months to years, eventually what happens is we can become what's called insulin resistant. And that's a scenario where insulin still gets released in response to glucose. It takes the hand of glucose, takes it to the cells, knocks on the door. And then the cells say like, no, I've had enough of you insulin. There's been way too much around. I'm going to become resistant and not take that glucose in. So in that type of scenario, not only are you sort of under fuel, you can underfuel cells, but you also then have to store that glucose somewhere. So we end up storing it as adipose tissue in our bodies. A dysregulated insulin state is a also strongly inflammatory state. So it's not a place that we want to be in if we can avoid it. In PCOS specifically, PCOS is like a spectrum disorder, but very often there are aspects of insulin resistance that sort of play a role in the hormone imbalanced state state of PCOS. And the more dysregulated the insulin system is, we tend to see a higher androgenic picture, for example, which can hinder egg quality for those patients. But then there's also this sort of like inflammatory nature of dysregulated insulin that we see too. So again, the importance of regulating the blood sugar. And again, that on our newsletter, we'll send out 10 hacks on how to regulate your blood sugar to balance your hormones and uh, boost your fertility. I'm apologizing for my voice. It's a little low. I was, uh, at the time of recording, I was away and it wasn't because I was screaming and having a great time. Unfortunately, I got viral laryngitis and lost my voice. Um, and I'm, I'm recovered physically, but my voice vocal cords are not hundred percent back. So I am well, just, uh, my voice has not recovered in our, some of the coaching programs that Kaylee and I offer online and what she does one-on-one in, in the clinic is the questions about, can I have coffee? What about alcohol? These come up a a lot. I thought one more important topic that I wanted to share with our listeners is the one around fat because fat's gotten a bad rap. You know, for a while we were on the no fat diet, eating no fat, and we've seen how this has become detrimental to cell health and reproduction. 
Can you clarify that? Because there's been a lot of misinformation, which I know has been corrected in a lot of the journals and a lot of the research, but it doesn't seem like it's it's reached the public critical mass yet about that. So you can talk about saturated fats, trans fats, good fats, bad fats, when it comes to fertility. So look, fats are, again, like carbohydrates, like proteins, really, really foundational to have the right type of fats in our diets in order to peak our fertility. So for example, we make all of our sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all of the precursors to steroid sex hormones are fats. So we absolutely need to have them in our systems in order to foster healthy fertility. We also use fats to make strong cell membranes. So when you are growing a baby and they are making you know, millions of new cells, you need to have fats present in order for them to be able to do that. But just like every other food that we've been talking about, fats as fuel are also information. And the type of fats that we choose can either create a really hospitable, beautiful soil for fertility or can um, create imbalance in the soil. So a couple of quick examples are like trans fats that we talked about at the very top of the show can absolutely uh, interfere with your fertility. So they can interfere with ovulatory function, for example. They also interfere with your body's absorption of really healthy fats. So we don't want to be incorporating fats from poor quality animal protein, from processed foods, from fried foods too often, because that's where we get things like um, trans fats. When it comes to the good fats, there are good saturated fats. There are good unsaturated fats that can play a role in hormone balance and ultimately healthy fertility. In generally, in general, we're talking about the quality and how processed the fat is. So in general, we love fats that come from nuts and seeds and avocados and high quality like wild fish or grass-fed meat. We don't love chemically processed or hydrogenated sort of um, chemically interfered with oils. So things like canola oil, sunflower oil, margarine, these things contain either trans fats or they contain damaged oils that can actually have an inflammatory reaction when we consume them in our bodies. Thanks for that. And I'm saying that on, on behalf of our, our listeners. The Acubalance Fertility Diet, again, when you if you go to our site, you can get a free copy of that where we have lots of recipes. The original version, um, which the second edition still has the influence, was based on the Harvard Nurses um, study where they looked at over 18,000 women f- followed over eight years. And that was published back in 2008 where they showed a slow carb, which you just talked about, whole food, mostly plant-based, so it wasn't a vegetarian diet, had a six-fold increase in fertility in IN reproductive health, not in infertility, but in reproductive health, optimizing your fertility. And just to sum it up here, so why is it, you know, will the real fertility diet stand up? Why, what, what do I have to look for? So really, if you want to simplify it, um, no processed food, no refined flours, no added sugar, yes to lots of veggies. You kind of like half the plate of vegetables, right? That's my goal, yeah, 50%. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So lots of veggies, focus on eating lots of veggies, using good fats, healthy proteins, vegetarian and plant, uh, plant-based plant and animal protein. But again, remembering the quality of the protein, since your plate is half veggies, doesn't give you a lot of room for the meat, right? So it's small portions and stay hydrated. I think um, hydration with, with good water um, is underrated. We really need to be hydrated, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's like really commonly when I ask people about how much water they're drinking, 
a good litmus test for that is like, what's the, how deeply yellow is your urine outside of you taking a B vitamin um, and your very first pee of the morning, your urine should always be like really quite lightly yellow. That would be a sign of good hydration status. And when you eat this way, so again, you can download the diet and we have the principles there to explain why with all these recipes that now taste good. Thank you, Dr. Kaylee McIsaac. <laughs> that then they lower inflammation, they help lower oxidative damage, they help regulate blood sugar and provide adequate nutrition to cells and all that helps you reach your peak fertility potential. Absolutely, that's the goal. And when we talk about uterine receptivity, you touched on it, but your diet and your gut and your microbiome, so your diet can impact implantation, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, through that mechanism of uh, affecting the microbiome. And because the gut microbiome is ground zero, if there's something happens, if we're not eating enough fiber to promote healthy bacteria in the gut, there's a possibility that we could also be creating dysbiosis in the uterus. And we have decent literature at this point that dysbiosis in the uterus can lead to implantation failure. I think another important thing just to sort of wrap up and end on is that I think often we tend to hyper-focus on diet as a therapy that's going to help to create a healthy baby. But also remember that dietary therapies, we know that what parents are eating prior to conception not only influences whether or not they're going to fall pregnant, also influences the future health outcomes of their baby. So whether or not that baby is going to go on to develop things like metabolic syndrome, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. But we actually now have three generation data whereby what a woman eats in pregnancy is going to influence the health of her baby and her grandbabies in the future as well. So working on your diet, of course, is going to help with that short-term goal of like you making a baby today. But we also want to think about it as this lifestyle shift, because when you eat this way, you are also having this multi-generational impact on the future health of your entire family. And I think that's really beautiful and can't be overlooked. All right. I want to thank you, Dr. Kaylee McIsaac. And again, she's the clinical director of AccuBalance Wellness Center. Kaylee, how can they find you? What's your Instagram handle? Did I say that the right way? Or am I showing that I'm the wrong age? You did say it right. Yeah, <laughs> my Instagram <laughs> handle. So I'm at Dr. Kaylee McIsaac. We'll type that in the show notes because a lot of people yeah. don't know how to spell my name, but it's Dr. Kaylee McIsaac on Instagram. Perfect. And then obviously at the AccuBalance website, AccuBalance.ca, you can um, get a copy of the, the fertility diet and sign up for the newsletter if you want us to send you emails about what about coffee? Is it good or not? Alcohol, the 10 hacks for um, 10 blood sugar hacks and more. You can get that from the AccuBalance website. And that's where you can find Dr. Kaylee McIsaac as well. Thank you guys for listening to the Conscious Fertility Podcast. And Kaylee, thank you again for um, joining us for another talk on diet, reminding everybody that there's an excellent talk on fertility testing where Kaylee talks about the conventional or the general fertility workup. And then she talks about the naturopathic or functional medicine testing to do a deeper dive to leave no stone unturned. And that's one of the earlier podcasts that you can listen to as well. Thanks so much, Lauren. That was really fun. If you're looking for support to grow your family, contact AccuBalance Wellness Center. At AccuBalance, they help you reach your peak fertility potential through their integrative approach using low-level laser therapy, fertility acupuncture, and naturopathic medicine. Download the AccuBalance Fertility Diet and Dr. Brown's video for mastering manifestation and clearing subconscious blocks. Go to AccuBalance.ca. That's A-C-U-Balance.ca. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Conscious Fertility, the show that helps you receive life on purpose. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and join the community of women and men on their path to peak fertility and choosing to live consciously on purpose. I would love to continue this conversation with you, so please direct message me on Instagram at Lauren Brown Official. That's Instagram, Lauren Brown Official. Or you can visit my websites, laurenbrown.com and acubalance.ca. Until the next episode, stay curious and for a few moments, bring your awareness to your heart center and breathe.